Welcome back to a Geeksplain Extra series that we're calling Watching the Watchmen, where every week we sit down and we talk about the episodes of the HBO Watchmen series. I am your first co-host, Eric Zana. And I am your second co-host, Christopher Carter. And Chris, I got one question for you. How do you feel about Dr. Manhattan really being Red Scare the whole time? <laughs> Well, if that were true, there would be no more co-host number two. <laughs> we were watching this episode, and they, Lady True, and we're going to talk about all of this, by yeah. the way. Um, and Lady True says, you know, Dr. Manhattan has been masquerading as a human this whole time. And I turn to look at Chris, and I give him the big point, and he shakes his head. He won't even make eye contact with me. And then immediately, they... It's something like, don't you want to know who he is? And she leaves, and immediately it cuts to Red Scare. And between me and Chris and others in our circle, yeah. we there is a sound that Chris makes that we all call the Chris sound when something you know exciting is happening or like something has fallen into place. Can you give us a little taste of what that sound is? Oh God, I'm on the spot now. You're on the spot. It's like the boom. <laughs> <laughs> or it's the oh, <laughs> and I looked at him. I'm sorry, so sorry for those who are listening through headphones. Um, I looked at him, and he was like, "If if if it's him, I I quit. Dude, I'm not doing I'm this not anymore." anymore. <laughs> that and I sings. was so ready because there he is, unassuming red scare. It makes so much sense. What's the furthest thing from sense. blue? It's red. What's the furthest <laughs> thing from the American dream? Communism. Right. It just, the parallels were there, but it ultimately, red scare was a red herring because mm-hmm. he was more not, <laughs> he was not Dr. Manhattan. And we are going to get all into it. But with all of that preamble out of the way, yeah. We are reviewing episode seven, entitled An Almost Religious Awe. Um, we're going to start We're gonna start with that this okay. week. What do you think, because we've talked about it every week and it's like flown all over the place in each episode. What do you think the title is referring to? Uh, for me, it's pretty clear. For me, it's, it's how people see Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And that's peppered throughout the, the series. But then this episode really kind of brings it home, especially when they're in Vietnam. Absolutely. And, you know, they kind of go over that, and I love that, but I think that an almost religious awe is, is, imagine if someone could embody whatever God we believe in, right? right. They can pull a smoke and mirrors, and it looks like that's going to happen with Joe Keen, and I'm going to let you, that's your boy. The, you know, so you that, knew that from Joe episode, Keen, what, two? That dastardly Joe Keen. Yeah, you knew the episode, too, that he was something. Was there was little, something up. Yeah. Um. But I think that that's definitely what they're talking about. The people's perception about how they see Dr. Manhattan and Mm -hmm. the religious awe. Because at this point, he is a deity, right? Oh, yeah. He's considered for sure. And I think that we're kind of rolling into his storyline to finish this episode to obviously next episode and then maybe into our conclusion. What did you think the title means? I would agree. I I, I would think that um, a lot of that refers to Dr. Manhattan, though I will also... um, I will also posit the idea of the Cyclops, mm-hmm. the idea of the 
the cult that has oh, transcended yeah. decades and generations, and now it's here in the present day as the Seventh Cavalry, mm-hmm. and this almost religious like uh, look at white supremacy yeah. and that idea, and that's a really harsh, like dark. Um, twisting of the idea of a religious awe. Sure. But I think, I mean, when we look at the great history of the world, some of the biggest atrocities were done in the name of religion. Yeah. yeah. And I think when it comes to this, there is going to be some kind of like biblical um, uh, biblical drive behind the 7th Cavalry mm. or the Cyclops. Because originally, remember, they were, the Cyclops cult was based on this idea of, you know, God has us here and it has the black man here and it's like this very idea Reich-ish very third reich mm-hmm. and you know we've seen different in the real world we've seen different um evolutions of that kind of ideology of the ubermensch and like yeah. racial inequality we've seen yeah, different right. um uh interpretations of it and evolutions of that interpretation and i mean of course of course, with all of, and we're going to talk about it, all of the reverence for Dr. Manhattan and this idea of an ubermensch, um, the 7th Cavalry is going to look to a former white man sure. who came over from Germany, whose who's, who's, uh, parents immigrated from Germany and became this godlike being. Yeah. And now they want to do the same. So it's there's a lot in this episode. We were we yeah. were just talking about it before we uh, got the ball rolling here on the recording. Well, the subtext but, for the show is fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, the show itself, I mean, face value, it's exceptionally entertaining mm-hmm. and, and, and very right now. Very, yeah. very, very, very current. But the subtext. I mean, oh, my God. Just the have, layers. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, what makes a fantastic show. That Agreed. it transcends TV. Entertaining right. TV is one thing. To have conversations about what they mean within that show is something completely different and and, and much more important. So, so good. But anyway, yeah. I cut you off. Continue. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I was just saying, like, and we talked about this a little bit um, before we started recording here. Um, my notes are double the size that they usually yeah. are for this episode. <laughs> two pages. And right. I wasn't. And you're the same. Yeah. I wasn't expecting there to be this much in this episode. And I Me mean, neither. we are ramping up towards the finale. Yeah. And I mean, the preview for next episode. Whew. Yeah. There's going to be some stuff. Yeah. But um, I did not expect all the bombs that no, got dropped you, here. No, I was kind of thinking to me if we... And it's funny. The show has a tendency of doing this. It did it to me last week. I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm... You know, it's I'm going to watch it. I don't know if I had the same fervor as I had the episode before with uh, with Looking Glass. And right. Like, and just every single week, this show just tends to notch it up a little bit. And mm. you don't ever expect it, right? Like, no. Like this episode, I'm th- kind of thinking... We're going to get a lot of backstory, which is fine. We're going to get a lot of true, which is fine. We're going to get some Ozymandias information. That's fine. But, like, that was the little part. You know, that was a small drop in the ocean of this. Oh, my God. So, starting off the episode, I thought we started the episode in a really interesting place, Uh, and that is in Vietnam. I didn't catch it at first. The 51st state. Yeah. Um, again, in this alternate history, Dr. Manhattan won the war. And the, it starts off in this um, in this video shop. 
you know, we'll call it Vietnamese blockbuster. Yeah. And they're showing on the screen like a documentary about Dr. Manhattan showing stock footage. And I love this. My favorite shot is they're flying over Vietnam and all of a sudden you see this giant blue hand. And then as the helicopter like flies away, you just see the waist down of giant Dr. Manhattan stomping out the Viet Cong. And we've seen, if you've read the comic, that image is there. Oh, really? It's in the comic of this giant Dr. Manhattan stepping through the jungles of Vietnam and like winning the war for them. But seeing it in motion, I thought was just cool. Especially in like that stock footage, like wartime. 1960, 70 kind of vibe. The one that you see, because you see part of that in Snyder's Watchmen, although right, it's in very the opening. different. Yeah, it's right. very different. I mean, it's got the same type of feel where he's walking over the villages, although it is very rated. If I mean, this is rated R, but that that's there's a big blue dong in it for the. Big well, part but it, also so. too, um, that was I would say more cinematic. Oh, it absolutely was when it came to and framing. With this, it's just Snyder like, style too, right? So it's Which is just exaggerating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but this, I mean. It's it's it looked like a, the only thing I can really equate it to is like Cloverfield. Yeah. Like you just suddenly see this giant ass thing like in front of you and it's like, whoa. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And you come to find out that ever since then, ever since the winning of the Vietnam War, Vietnam becoming the 51st state, Vietnam in a way has kind of in speaking to what you were saying about the meaning of the opening, um, they've kind of revered and worship Dr. Manhattan as this, like, conquering god. Yeah. Like, we open up on this, like, celebration that's very, um, I don't even know the word for it. I mean, if, we're, it. if we've seen, if you've seen Ragnarok, it's like, like yes, part yes. Where, kind of got where, that where everybody's thing. like they're throwing. They've got like um, the blue masks. I yeah, think, blue and... masks, and they've got the, they've got stations where kids are doing crafts. Yeah, this guy's doing a puppet show, an evil puppet show. Evil puppet show. But like, I thought it was such an interesting thing because we see, or we saw in the. Uh, I want to say it was like the second trailer for this show. There's a moment where you know this suited person is walking towards this blue mask on the ground. He reaches down and you see it's a blue, blue hand. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so there's going to be some kind of like Dr. Manhattan Reference celebration or, or something. Yeah. And I just kind of assumed that with all the Manhattan booths around America, that it was going to be that, that that was going to be like a today thing. Yeah. And as we come to find out in the uh, preview for next week's episode, it's actually a flashback. Right. But seeing the Which actual... It takes a lot of balls. Super. For and Damon to do and like because I mean think lots about it, that's, of balls that's, that's I was showing ask off, you, like, showing off a scene that is taking place in your penultimate episode yeah. that if you knew the context of it spoils the entire show would you say that Doctor Manhattan is the most iconic character of the Watchmen series and comic itself I would say it's either him or, or Rorschach. Because Rorschach... They're identifiable, right? On They're very identifiable. Yes, you can immediately see them and know, okay, that's who, I know who that is. Right, and they're different and they're unique right. and they're special. Well, and, and, it's, and I think that that's something that they've kind of touched on in this show is that um, a lot of people look at Rorschach as like this Batman-like figure mm-hmm. and it's like he's absolutely not. And it's <laughs> like they have this like, oh man, if I was a hero, I'd be Rorschach. And yeah. I'm like, do you know 
how mentally incapable you sound right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the entire reason that Rorschach is who he is is from a mental imbalance, years of abuse. Like, he is not a good person. Right. And he is not even altogether there. Interesting. Which is what allows him to be as brutal and I'm using quotations here, efficient as a vigilante as he is. Um, and I mean, of course, there's the argument to be said that Bruce Wayne is not mentally capable, but sure. I think very different ways. Yeah. Um, whereas, like you said, Dr. Manhattan, you can see that and immediately know that's Dr. Manhattan. And people, while not necessarily identifying with him, they can identify him from anything. Right. Like, you could stack up, like, a full, you know, six feet long poster of every superhero that's ever been, and you can point to the blue guy and say, that's Dr. Manhattan. Manhattan. Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot to how uh, prominent Watchmen is. I think so, too. Just in general, especially now that we are in, as I've said before, like, the golden age of comic book media, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know... 10, 15 years ago, not everybody's going to know what Watchmen is. But nowadays, it's like, oh, you don't know what Watchmen is? Yeah. yeah. Like, you you filthy casual. Right. Like, and it's so interesting to me that in this alternate history, you know, they throw parades and stuff like for him like he's legit Superman. Well, like, And I think there's a really interesting parallel to be seen. You know, we just wrapped up Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, about the Macy's Day Parade. Mm-hmm. And I think every year we get the Macy's Day Parade and they've got floats and balloons, you know, revering these giant figures, whether it's like Goku from Dragon Ball or Snoopy from the Peanuts right. or like Superman, who has made an appearance in almost every single Macy's Day Parade, like since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But having this idea of like this distinct and specific hero worship, because for those of you who didn't read the comic, Dr. Manhattan wasn't the only member of the Minutemen in Vietnam. The comedian was there. Mm. Like, other heroes were conscripted to be in the Vietnam War, but no one remembers that. Everyone only remembers the giant blue guy stomping right. around the forests and yeah. winning the war. So I thought that was really fascinating, and we kind of uh, come to this... Uh, Come to the celebration in Saigon. We meet Angela when she's a little girl. We see the uh, origin of the Sister Knight moniker. Um, and we see her parents. Yeah. Now, it's interesting and it's almost a weird disconnect for me. I want to know what you thought about this. Um, seeing her dad and kind of connecting it to being Will's son from the previous episode. And it's really interesting because he says to her in this initial flashback, in this initial scene, that people who wear masks are scary people or are meant to scare people. And later on when she's talking to June, which we're definitely going to get to June as well, um, she mentions that it's because that someone in a mask scared him. And I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I would never have got that if they didn't like nail me with it mm-hmm. I mean and they absolutely did they're like it was very overt the way they said that I, I but think, not in a way that's just like oh god well like, no of it's, course it's because her story I think when and we're jumping to like when June's talking it's because I think of how interesting the parallels are yeah. between Angela and Will and there's that there's the father who's the separator right that's the generational gap right and there are parallels that I really want to bring up later when we get to that point between the two mm. but, but yeah I thought that was 
so interesting where if when you know as a child when you're scared all of a sudden that's how again it gets brought down to your kids no you don't scary people wear masks and i think that without her saying that i would never have got that but that was so clever and so well done yeah that was really clever so so yeah that was um I really enjoyed that part of it. And just even though we didn't have June for very long, what right. she brought to Angela's backstory mm-hmm. um, was was almost as important as what you saw that Will brought to Angela's backstory. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So after, you know, meeting with her parents and everything, um, where you talk about the, the evil puppet show, um, in something that kind of made me super uncomfortable... Um, we watch a suicide bomber with a backpack, yeah. um, which I mean, this of course took took place. I'm I'm assuming in the uh, Had, late '80s, early '90s, probably or maybe, maybe mid '80s, because Angela is probably pushing 30, 35. Yeah, something Viet- like that. Oh, maybe, maybe you're right because I think Vietnam was between '65 and right. I guess whenever it ended. I mean, whenever they decided yeah. to end, but. But, but they're watching I, VHS. So. Yeah, and they have the this bombing that, and we you mentioned uh, earlier that the show is very current. Mm-hmm. Show is very current. Deals with events that, um, as a viewer in 2019, even though there are some scenes that happen in the 1980s, the 1990s, wherever, um, you know, 1921 with the Tulsa massacre, the 40s, uh, they feel very, very of today. Right, very relevant. And absolutely. it hits home really close. Yeah. And the idea of this backpack bomber, and I'll I'll check in what you think of that, like really kind of struck me. Yeah. As soon as they handed off the backpack and we get this weird like... The editing um, was super tense. So right? good. Yeah. And the camera's like focusing on this backpack on the back of the kid. I immediately just like leaned forward and I got really tense. Because yeah. like we've seen stuff like this yeah. in recent years. And it's terrifying. Yeah. Hurt Locker did a fantastic job. Absolutely. American Sniper and just, mm-hmm. yeah, there's... And we've, we've seen stuff like this, terror attacks, um, you know, mass shootings, like stuff like that, where it's like at the place... You know that you least expect it. Mm-hmm. This was a celebration. Yeah, her birthday party. I think yeah, I, I think she was lying about the birthday party. Oh, thing. really? Yeah, oh, okay. I think it was just it was just like because she was like my parents got me a pony. Right. I didn't see a pony, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I just I thought it was incredibly well done in how visceral it felt. Yeah, and how immediately when you fu- when you realize what's happening, you're just like, no, nah, I don't want to watch this. Yeah, I totally agree. I and it's in. It's funny. I think that the guy says, "I think death to the invaders." If yes, I recall, right? absolutely. And, everyone, and and so it's in a lot of ways, it's kind of like what we're seeing in the Middle East, where unfortunately it depends on what part of what line you're on or what religion you believe in, and then right. you look across from you, and then all of a sudden there's an invader. So, you know, it is very relevant and it is very jarring. And they do a great job on the technical aspect of Angela kind of seeing this, and then you kind of seeing through her eyes. She's kind of seen her parents. This guy getting closer to her parents, her parents getting closer. So they do a great job with editing. And then the music just creates a tension where that was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like you're watching that and there's um there's a part in the movie of Sicario and uh it's have you seen Sicario? Good shout, yeah. So when um they're going to the to the border and it's Benicio and it's um Emily and they're in the SUV and you hear this drone and they said they're yeah. gonna hit us again. So 
it's funny they use kind of the same thing there whereas this uncomfortable drone and it just makes you really on edge and then mm. just going back and forth and no i totally agree that was really good and um it was super relevant you know yeah, you see terrible absolutely. things like that and and the the ieds nowadays you just you know it's god just, it's terrible and uh and you feel really bad for angela you know it's like absolutely her dad's a likable guy yeah you know, it's like they seem to have it, they're just unfortunately wrong place wrong time but people see them as them the enemy and them being the enemy and then it's just uh it changes everything yeah watching this episode like it struck me right around the june stuff which again we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that i was like Angela has had a really rough life. Yeah. Like, just in general. Like, if you take up and you tally everything from start to where she is right now, she has not had an easy go of it. No. And it's kind of terrible. Like, it's really sad that she's had to go through all the stuff that she's had to go through. Yeah. And I think that it's becoming, and again, I want to talk about the parallels between her and Will, but um, I wrote down angry person. And because I yes. parts of that but 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 no 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 go into it go into it i can feel it it, it's just i've we've seen her and she's come across as being very upset very angry very forceful Mm -hmm. and then it's when june or uh it's when will is told that he's an angry man and so it's like but because he was shaped to be this way and like it's a throwaway line you get it but when you come to this episode you kind of put the pieces together that angela's angry you can see it in previous episodes and there's a part and, and we'll talk about the June part when she's got this flashback where it's showing Angela's kind of seeing Will's memories and lining up with her memories. And it's like, well, at this point, we are the same person, you know, and there's right. a point where we are either we're on the same path or we're already together with this, this. Our paths have already conjoined at this point where, you know, if you keep doing this, you'll end up like that. Mm-hmm. I think that sheep has sailed already. I think that they are <laughs> yeah. kind of the same at this point, you know, and. But but that was my take on it, and and so what did you think? Do you do you feel that she's an angry person at this Absolutely. point? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen different um, aspects of that anger, like in the first episode when they're like, okay, we we just one of our cops got attacked by a seventh cavalry member. She drives her car straight into the trailer park, mm-hmm. kicks a door down, and kicks the shit out of this guy before throwing him in her trunk, trunk yeah and then driving him back to the precinct like she is no stranger to violence yeah. and she is no stranger to um making rash decisions downing all of the nostalgia pills yeah. um being just generally angry and kind of off-putting at times mm-hmm. um but i think that there like you said there is a lot to be said about her um her parallels with will their legacy in yeah. that way of her family she now we know comes from at this point three generations of cops mm-hmm. like and it's like when uh when she's talking to june you know she says i'm going to be a police officer one day and june is almost mm-hmm. ju- she just says she's like of course you are right and then she turns what else do you got in that bag i thought that was such a that was so interesting how that that happened because she saw mm. and i love the way they're playing the flashbacks yes right? they're, they're doing that fast so. and loose but pulling them back just when you need them yeah and it's in that way where it's like it can be really sloppy if the flashbacks in the previous episode didn't mean anything but they put such a focus on telling a fantastic story last episode mm. that every single callback i remembered yeah and it's every single moment where it was like there's a moment where it's like um she's talking about how uh angela's dad kind of cut her out of her life and she's like 
basically to him, I didn't exist. And it flashed immediately back to her telling Will, as far as you're concerned, we don't exist. And it was just the parallels and pulling everything together. Incredible writing, incredible editing too. I agree. And I thought it was very, very good. So we're moving into, we're going to get into a lot of Angela's stuff, but I feel like that's going to take a majority of this and I can already tell this is going to be a long one so we're going to go into some of the other stuff that um, that happened in this episode so that we can really put some focus back on Angela um, Lady True Lady mm. True and the Millennium Clock at the point that the episode ends we're what four hours from it might be two hours two hours I think okay because it was progressively going you're yeah, right uh, so we're like two hours away from the Millennium Clock we still don't know what the Millennium Clock does um, I'm assuming we're going to find out in the next episode or two. Do you have a guess? But I, I want to no, get your guess I'm... at the end of the episode because I have a okay. guess. And I want to okay. get your guess. All right. Okay. We're going to do that. Um, but I was really interested in, and I had to write this down because I had no idea what her name was until I saw the credits, Beyond, uh, Lady True's daughter. The daughter. Slash mother. mother. <laughs> I, have, I have in my notes here, I have daughter scratched out mother scratched out clone and so as we kind of uh because we had that like idea earlier on i was hoping you'd remember that because i don't want to be like both of us were like we're kind of feeling like because they talked about um in her intro lady true making life making a baby and so we were kind of on this trail and we were kind of half right where we were like, okay, so this little girl is probably a clone. I thought, and I think you agreed that it was probably a clone of Lady True That's as her daughter. That was what we thought, yeah. And come to find out, it's not. It's of her mother who died. And before she died, um, she cloned her and is now just like Angela was experiencing Will's memories. She's been uh, dripping nostalgia through an IV while Beyond sleeps. And that is both incredibly interesting and super tragic. Yeah. Because this little girl is never going to be able to, to live her own life. Yeah. And it's really sad. And it's, you know, it's selfish in it's, a way. It's very and selfish. Especially when Lady True uh, explains herself why she does it and her going like, I'm about to achieve something and I wanted my parents there. with me. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting where uh, Angela was like, your dad's here too? And she's like, he, he will, will be. be. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting, and I'm sure we're going to get something on that. Who do you think that. her dad is? I think it's Osmandius. I think so, too. That's, I think so. And I think part of that's too because of the cloning tech. Yes. I think that kind of, there's a callback to that. And that statue of him. And then the crashing, and they buy the land. I just kind of feel like, I kind I, of feel I hope we get some, from, like, explanation for yeah. that. And I'm sure we will. The statue, to me, was is kind of, that's the big part of it, too. And then the, the cloning tech, I, they kind of touched on that, because... We had seen um, when he's starting to pull the babies out of the water. It's yes. kind of cool that they are clones in some yep. way, shape, or form, Matrix style. But, but yeah, okay. So, so yeah. So, so Lady True, continue, continue. Um, and I also thought it was something interesting during her speech. She's given this big speech to her staff and everything, talking about nostalgia being a failure. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I wrote down that too. Um, what do you think about that? I think that's incredible. You know, I love that. And again, I thought this episode went full sci-fi. I mean, I thought super that, sci-fi, and that, that made me. Um, that's just the range they can they can really get away with because they're so good mm-hmm. at it. I thought the tech that they use and and is so interesting. So she makes such a great point. And just when she says, 
and I wrote this down. It's angry people have a hard time letting go. That was my personal note about that. I com- what she was saying. I completely missed that line. She said. Well, that she no, she didn't. What oh, okay. she was saying was that people would only fixate on their either greatest fail their failures or the the worst times of their life. Yes. Right. And part of that, I think, is because, or they highlighted that, is because when angry people, they kind of do that. I'm, I'm, I have, I have anger issues. I kind of think that we both do, but on different levels. Ouch. Well, no, you, meant, you said. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're he right. Has you're admitted right. This to you're me, people. Right. This is not me throwing this out there. But Everybody remember noticed. that one time that Chris just accused <laughs> me of having anger issues <laughs> with no prior right. evidence to support it. That was two it. weeks ago because broke the last one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like as as when I know when I get upset and I've seen some people get upset. It's like anger can drive you to a kind of like to insane place. levels. But the uh, but the the inability to move on to. If you fixate on something, mm-hmm. it will devour you. You know, if it, if you linger on it, if you stay on it, it's like if I think about this horrible thing that happened to me years ago, or months yeah. ago, or for or for weeks, right. it can. You know, there's the argument that says that that's how cancer. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, and and, and I can I can speak to that a lot, and I think you know, the idea of like an angry person unable to let go of a grudge. You know, yeah. things like that. I know I suffer from that, and I know you do yeah. as well. No, healthy. Um, it's, healthy. it's healthy. We do it in healthy manners, though, people. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, I'm going to call out Chris anytime that I feel something. I'm now going to say, like, and I know you do, too. Yeah. I know you, I have this flaw, but you also. I, 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 right. We are in this together. But, but, but nostalgia, I think that's that's interesting. That yeah. They kind of, because they did linger on that. They did oh, absolutely. Nostalgia was a failure. Why did you think, do you, well, first of all, do you think, A, is it a failure? And B, if you do, why do you feel that way? Uh, first of all, I think that the idea of nostalgia being a failure, I think, in a lot of ways makes sense. Because if you remember, um, we talked about it a couple episodes ago, where in the comics, um, nostalgia was this perfume that Ozymandias' company was working on, and that they were kind of like working their way out so that they could bring in Millennium, the new perfume. And I think this idea of nostalgia and this idea of um, constantly looking back, and she says this as much in her speech, that instead of uh, cherishing the memories that you had, you would fixate on all of the negative stuff mm-hmm. in with your nostalgia. And I think there's a lot to be said that her viewing nostalgia as a failure while also being the person who I think is safe to say we can define as a futurist, someone who's constantly looking forward and has a, whether it's an inability or whether it's um, a choice, has a hard time looking back. You know, there are just as many people that I know that have a hard time moving on from things and are consistently looking back and, you know, regretting things yeah. or like basking nostalgia. Yeah. There are some people that I know that just cannot look back. They have to keep moving forward, whether that's out of um, shame or regret or wanting to forget stuff. They have this inability of being able to see the value of nostalgia. And so they're constantly looking forward and they see, you know, wasting time on thinking about stuff that's already happened is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really juxtaposes her with Ozymandias. If they are, you know, father and daughter, as we're kind of theorizing here, um, 
this idea that Ozymandias is kind of stuck in the past. And we see this yeah. in the scenes that he's writing an entire play about Dr. Manhattan's life. It's already happened. Yeah. He's so fixated on, you know, even just his goal of trying to leave this paradise and getting back to where he was physically and perhaps mentally and emotionally as well yeah. really contrasts him with Lady True who seems to be always focused on ever forward. Why do you think then that she's feeding her daughter nostalgia through a drip? Or I'm sorry, her mother. It's hard to get it's gonna get hard to get it. <laughs> why do you think she's doing that if she sees it as a failure? I'm not sure. I uh if I'm being honest, I think that the again, it has to do with being selfish in a way, but also in that um in that I think that gives her a second chance in a way to kind of rewrite and fix the mistakes that her mother may have made in the past and try to shape her and shape her into a better person, whether or not we're looking at, you know, her wanting to create the exact copy of her mother or her idealized version of her mother. Because I think I, and I, I know you do too. Uh, we always like, we have this <laughs> image of our parents yeah. that isn't, that doesn't always line up with who they actually are. Of course. Yeah. And I think that that has, I mean, if we're talking about this hypothetical about her being Ozymandias' daughter, she has a freaking gold statue of her dad yeah. who possibly she's never even met. And this idea of having this idealized version of your parents and wanting them with you rather than who they might have actually been speaks a lot to True's idea of moving forward and trying to make her own future yeah. rather than living in the reality of the past. That's interesting. That's an interesting idea. I think you might be onto something with that. I, you know, it's, and I do think that though, by feeding her daughter that, and and let's say, for shits and giggles, that you created a drug that, and used in moderation, could help you study. Let's just say I right. it, okay. And a bunch of people are using it. It got hot, and a bunch of people are using it in ways you didn't intend. They're overdeeing on it. They're taking it. Are we talking about months. cocaine, Christopher <laughs> Carter? That's the actor speaking, ladies and gentlemen. The actor who lives in Los Angeles just said that. <laughs> but uh, but so maybe in this case, it, it was a failure in society, but it, in a controlled environment, like maybe mm -hmm. a doctor. For instance, um, right. coding, right? Coding is big on the streets. Mm -hmm, for um, sure. So now, uh, it, but in, but in a hospital environment where it's controlled, it's not a failure. Completely safe. So it's interesting that she would have that. But but anyway, so so true though. I think True's gonna abs is absolutely uh, or she thinks Ozymandias is her is her dad, and I think mm -hmm. that will be just interesting because she is so put together. And then we have his trial, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Oh yeah, and we're gonna talk he's about making that. A mockery of this trial. Yes. You know what I mean? Is he's just throwing the biggest fit and. Uh, you see if you have true on one side and Ozymandias on the other it's like so different yeah and I think that'll be well you know what Let, let's talk about it let's talk okay. about the so we go into the trial of Ozymandias mm -hmm. and we find out that they've been in a trial for a year yeah <laughs> and so this is the thing about this and why I'm not sure where exactly um Veidt's story is happening in relation to well, everything else yeah uh, because we suddenly skip a year ahead and this, at least in Ozymandias's stuff, where in the show it's been like days. Each episode could have been like a day or a week. Mm -hmm. um, and you find out that 
I thought the most interesting thing was, I mean, of course we have all of the uh, Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks there as like not just the jury and the peers, but also I'm pretty sure the game warden is another version of Mr. Phillips just with a mustache. Really? I'm not sh- like I was really looking at him to see if I could recognize him as a different actor, but I think it's the same guy just with a mustache. Um, but I thought the most interesting thing was when the prosecutor is giving her final statement, she says, and I wrote this down, that the one commandment of this paradise is thou shalt not leave. And I think that's fascinating. What do you think about that? Well, it's funny because it makes me think that if he's the master, because they also mentioned they multiple times before, and even in then in you know the accused blah 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 also known as the master right. he must set those rules right he tells them they can't really? leave unless do you think it's all of root do you think it's like something i'm not even sure like a it, westworld thing because it's like it doesn't seem like he cares about this it, trial at all. like is there any is or there he's, any and he's punishment that's gonna be levied does it matter but know? it looked like so it's really interesting to me because and i think a westworld situation is very on the nose and i think that you're definitely like on the right track because i think that earlier in the season we've seen that he abides by the rules of the game warden Mm -hmm. and that it's like he has like when he tries to skin that buffalo or whatever game warden like throws it or like shoots something and he like backs off so he has a reverence for the rules but in here he's in complete defiance yeah like he just doesn't care he's apathetic he He chose to be his own defense and he hasn't said a word in the entire time they were there the entire time and even when they ask him for his uh for his final statement he just lets out this giant fart yeah and it's like (laughs) What is happening here? Yeah. And it feels like, again, like this is a, you know, same shit, different day kind yeah. of attitude from him. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering if, like you said, like, because they talk about in this scene, they separate the master and the creator. They're different titles. Mm-hmm. But if they're one and the same, then like, what has he been doing this whole time? Yeah. If, if he is the same person as the creator, why is he there? Why has he been there? Yeah. So I'm thinking that the creator is whoever put him there, and he's trapped for whatever reason. But I, he's pulling more strings than we're seeing. Yeah, for sure. Are you still really interested in his story? Super interested. Are you? I am. I think I because even though in the last uh, let's say three episodes his story's kind of stalled, yeah. I'm assuming that. And I'm just going to throw this prediction out there. Episode 9, the final episode, is going to be super Ozymandias heavy. Because I feel like, especially with the preview of next week's episode, that we're going to be wrapping up a lot. And yeah. kind of hitting that crescendo. That, it's gonna be a big, I think it's going to be a big backstory next For episode, sure. too. But also, we saw the... We saw Lots the of action, between, too. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I think that there's a lot that we aren't seeing with Ozymandias. And I think there's a lot that... Um, is yet to be revealed for sure. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of uh, reveals and doing some detective work, Lori Blake. Lori Blake. Segway. Um, Lori Blake. I was waiting for her to get some more stuff to do after the last couple episodes, and boy, did they give it to me. <laughs> um, we see that she uh, recorded. Everything that Angela was saying while she was on her nostalgia trip, and so, so on that, talk to you about why was she speaking? Like, what, what, what did she record? Because you know. so it sounds like 
while Angelo was reliving all of this stuff, uh, Lori was recording all of Angela's interactions, all of her speech as it was she all re- verbal, all right. verbal. Okay. Because I mean, you gotta you gotta think that while you know we as the audience are seeing through Angela's eyes of her reliving Will's memories. In reality, she's probably just like slumped over in her jail yeah, cell, just like drooling. speaking, yeah. yeah, like speaking nonsense. And so Lori probably, you know, recorded it just to see if she could find answers because now she knows Will Reeves killed Judd. She yeah. just doesn't know why. And they've got an arrest warrant out here, right? Warrant, too. And so I, uh, she comes to uh, Mrs. Crawford's place. She goes back to Judd's wife's house, and while she's on her way there. Um, <clears throat> Uh, she gets a call from Pete. And Pete's like, hey, remember how you sent me over to uh, Looking Glass's house? And I was so excited because I have been waiting since that episode (laughs) to get some kind of follow-up. Because last we saw, he was heading into his house, a van pulled up, a bunch of 7th Cavalry members jumped out, and they were going to kill him. Totally. That's kind of the vibe they're putting. And we see him entering Looking Glass's bunker and all of those guys are dead. So Looking Glass is alive yeah. and he's somewhere. And it, I'm going to assume he took one of their masks and he's in their operation oh, somewhere. Call. That would make sense. Because one of he the guys was missing at. his mask. Yeah. And he does know the location. You're right. So I'm really excited to see where he pops up again. But we see that he got brutal. Like, yeah. He kicks ass. Yeah. <laughs> he killed all of those guys and yeah. then just disappeared. And, you know, it's funny thinking about, about where he was <clears throat> going down. There would be a lot of pent-up anger. Oh, my you God. Know, talk about yeah, your anger. world getting shattered around right. you. Right. Someone's got to fucking pay. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't matter. It's, but someone's got to get hurt. And so. But. Uh, and so she, Lori goes to Mrs. Crawford to let her know, like, the truth about, you know, Will Reeves killing her husband. They don't know why. But she thinks that it has to do with the 7th Cavalry and thinking that Judd was part of their membership. And one thing I have written down here about their conversation is that she talks about the truth of Hooded Justice. That Hooded Justice, essentially their Superman for this, that they, I think this is brilliant, that they referenced and they dropped the little Easter egg for you at the very first episode making those Superman parallels with Will Reeves escaping the massacre of Tulsa. Him literally becoming the Superman of this universe, being the very first vigilante to inspire all the vigilantes that came after him. Uh, finding out that he was a black man. And Lori... Lori was one of those su- vigilantes inspired by Hooded Justice. Yeah. So it's like having this reveal after all these years, after you've retired, after you've been out of the game for so long, suddenly being like, holy shit, like my entire career was built off of a lie. Yeah. And this is the first time that Lori kind of, uh, I, I don't know if humble is the right word, but like very even, because normally yes. she comes off as better than you, very sarcastic. Yes, absolutely. And that was in Doll here. So I think that was right. partly coming into. That definitely her. had a shape in it for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you know, she does have that line white men in masks are heroes, black men in masks are scary. Oh, you know? God, there's such yeah. a. The writing, you, we keep talking about it every, every yeah. week, ever since you brought it up. Yeah. Like the writing is so good. Yeah. It's so good. And so. Um, we find out that she, that Lori, throughout this entire time, has been conspiracy hunting. 
So she's trying to find out whether or not Judd was part of this. And so she starts to kind of lay out the idea of the Cyclops, the cult of the Cyclops becoming the Seventh Cavalry, Judd being part of it, and Senator Keene being part of it and using it, putting all of the cops in masks so you can't tell the heroes from the villains, but all of them are going to answer to President Joe Keene. And I loved how Mrs. Crawford just goes, yeah, yeah, but we uh, we changed the plans a little bit down the line. And she's like, oh, was I not supposed to reveal yeah. until later? And I loved that. I loved the exchange yeah. there. And then the faulty trap door. But the old remote control. was like, so like, good. This is like retro tech big and time. And you got to think, like, how long has that been in the house? Yeah, Just exactly. waiting to be used. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved that exchange. And then yeah. we f- come to find out, you know, she is she ends the episode, Lori does, as a prisoner of... The Cyclops, and I think it's really interesting because the uh, the Cyclops, uh, the Seventh Cavalry, their logo, especially that big logo in the back during the scene, very reminiscent of the Squid Monster. Yeah, that giant eye, and I wonder if there's going to be some kind of connective tissue there. But we find out that Joe Keen's grand plan is not anymore to be president. He doesn't care about that anymore. And he has this really uncomfortable line to Lori where he says, it's really hard to be a white man in America these days. And I just, oh, I cringed so hard. And, you know, I, as a... uh, as a male in this country, and you can agree with this. Um, we are both white. <laughs> so. Dude, stop. <laughs> I am multi-ethnic, in fact. But, like, how did how did you feel about that line? How did you feel about my his... my skin crawl. Right? It's like, it just, it, it's, it was very The conviction that he had. Yeah. And, of just... course, you know, it's it for all the wrong reasons, too. It's like mm-hmm. this guy's got a, a heavy southern accent, and he's Ugh. like, it's like, dude, what? You probably this is probably the safest place for you to be. It's 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 the climate. It just it made me so uncomfortable and and mad. You yes. know, and it's like yes, that's but also uh, going back to he says um, I wanted to be president, but now I felt like being like something more than president or something along those lines. Yeah, and uh, I do feel like that was obviously a, a call back to the title where it's like I want to be bigger than. President, I'm oh, good pull, good people, pull. You know what I mean? So yeah, I didn't think of that. That's cool. So I think, and that's, and it's funny because it is as fucked up as that plan was, and that line was because it was, man. And they, and <clears throat> they do a great job of making you uncomfortable. And I think that's yes. part of. That's probably. I think you may have said that to me when we when we were, weren't recording. The goal of a good show is to make you uncomfortable to have those conversations that may be like, I'll, I'll this show is gonna break the ice and then mm-hmm. opens up like what did you think about that and you what did i think about that and like having people from different you, perspectives like yeah like viewing tell it. you is it hard to be a white guy in, in america it's like that's like whoa bro we're not you know <laughs> let's, let's hey man you just on. showed up yeah. at my house for brunch like yeah. we're not having this conversation right. yet right and did you notice too that uh in in some of the the I guess the device or the apparatus they were building had the true logo on a bunch of little I blocks. didn't notice that. They're, That's they're, really interesting so. because she does say in this conversation with um, with Angela later on that she's working with Will against 
the Seventh Cavalry. Yeah. And the fact that some of her text being used, I think, is really fascinating. Yeah, it's a couple of those little like squarish blocks they're standing up yeah. to create like that gateway. I'm guessing it's very. Um, it's very Stark Industries. It felt that way. Like, in it that totally way. It totally felt that way, yeah. But I, I thought it was really interesting, and you find out that their goal is to essentially turn, if not just Joe Keen, then the entire 7th Cavalry into Dr. Manhattan's. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Sure. Putting mm-hmm. that kind of power in the hand of a white supremacist is just... Well, ah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I thought about that, too, and it's like, because... Obviously, also, so you had back in Vietnam, there was communism, and then there was uh, whatever. I, I don't even, I'm not to me, I'm very stupid here, but you had communism and anti communism. Right. The United States and Russia and, and whatnot. So it's funny, you have, you're on one side or the other, yeah. your, your point of view. So if you are, for instance, a communist, and you feel that you are 100% correct in your beliefs, all of a sudden you have something of a religious being come down and kind of wipe out, what can you say, right? So imagine the other side. Now imagine if you're a white supremacist and let's say you're a black guy and you're like, oh, all of a sudden you look back and, and, and so now they have the ultimate weapon and they are convicted in what they're saying. Yeah. At this point, it's like, oh my God, what can we possibly do at this point? To what you're saying is just like, what... If Seventh Cavalry became Doctor Manhattan, it's Ugh. like it would be if you were Vietnam going against America. Yeah, it's it's again it's that skin crawling like realization where it's um, the shoe is literally would be on the other foot, and yeah. it's like we talk about and they've talked about in the show this idea of like, oh man, giant Doctor Manhattan going and wrecking Vietnam. It's yeah. like it's so cool, but it's like it's different when if you're, you're in if you're Vietnamese. when you're under the boot. Yeah, if you're Vietnamese, it's a very different <clears throat> point of view. Yeah, and I think it's, whew, it it is scary, yeah. and I think that there's there's gonna be a reckoning for everybody in the next couple of episodes when it comes to their plans and their goals. And I think that the, especially with the revelation at the end of this episode, um, there is a reckoning coming for Angela yeah. for sure. And so let's make our way all the way back okay. to Angela. We're going to be talking about all of her stuff. Um, she is going through this episode with a hell of a nostalgia hangover. Yeah. She's recovering from her overdose. Uh, they have this medication going through her. And I loved the little um, medication tutorial video. Oh, yeah. That was like, <laughs> it seems that you've been or that you've overdosed on nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> now, and it like explains everything that's going on. And I just loved how, I love how hokey this show gets sometimes. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's very Westworldly at some points. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's got elements of that. The neurons and they they're, they're suffocating now they need to be cleared out. It's like, yeah, that's a pretty good explanation of it. If you absolutely know, and you and know. it you know it kind of for someone speaking just for myself and now also for you uh, um, as someone who's not like super up and up on you know scientific and biochemistry jargon. Like it was a good dumbing down of like what's happening here. And I think that's a. Uh, a great writing device to right, make like it if, accessible. If you're gonna, yeah, if you're going to create something nobody's ever heard of, then you have to have some type of explanation in an organic right. way. You know, a lot well, of times if you're time traveling, oh my god, what does this mean? And then that that leads you to the bridge of the person who knows everything. Wow, this is what's happening. And yeah. so then, then the audience is clued into 
as that person is. He's and the I, device, or they are the device that you learn that information from. Yeah, and I think they they were very tactful in how they did that. Like I recently, I've been rewatching the the Star Wars films, mm-hmm. and the new ones or the old ones, all of them. Well, and so, yeah. Where are you at now? Um, I've been watching them like in continuity order, and I just finished uh, Return of the Jedi. Okay. But something that really struck me about uh, A New Hope, Episode Four, was how well they explain what the Force is. Yeah. You know, it's this cosmic force that binds us together, yeah. and like I just for the faults or the successes of that movie, one thing that they did really well was getting the audience to be like. All right, this is the Empire. All right, these are the Rebels. All right, this is the Force. This yeah. is what Jedi's are. This is a lightsaber. Like all of these concepts that could be very highbrow and go over people's heads, sure. they really brought down to be like, we're going to explain it to you like you're a five year old, yeah. so that everyone can understand it. Well, and I think that was part of what Lucas had imagined too, because I mean, if I rec- are they PG thirteen, if I recall, right? Yes. So they knew that they couldn't, they couldn't really get their audience was. Spo- like there's there's this thing that USA Today does, and I think it's written for like a 14 year old person. Okay, and this is common knowledge, so it's not like I'm just spreading exposition here. So like they want the most amount of people to read it that can read it. Right? right. So the New York Times obviously for a much more, I don't want to say intelligent or educated class, but it's a much, it's a harder read right. than let's say USA Today. There aren't as many graphs in New York Times. Yeah. USA Today does it on purpose too, but. For Star Wars, you know, if we're doing a PG-13 movie, nobody's ever heard of anything. Like, Star right. Wars set so many it's trends up. It's a completely new so IP, new concepts. So if you're the first guy to ever explain something like that, you take your time. You make right. it as simple as it is understand and and then kind of go for it. But, uh, but yeah, I think they did a, a great job. And it's hard to do that, especially sure. now, especially today. Absolutely, where age. everyone just wants instant gratification. Everyone wants yeah. to know, okay, I want this, and I want to know everything about it, but I don't want specifics that are going to drag it down i just want to know the essentials yeah but it's like so much right and so much gets lost when you're just giving the cliff notes of stuff when it when you're not taking your entire audience into account like you said making sure that everyone at any level can understand it and while like with your example of the new york times being a little bit more exclusive with its readership having the inclusivity of a USA Today really helps out people who maybe aren't on the up and up with current events or stuff that the New York Times can be um, uh, showing and publishing, but that makes USA Today almost a gateway to the New York Times. And in this way, you know, it really makes whatever concepts that we're looking at when it comes to the medication, the nostalgia, whatever, a gateway into these higher concept stuff. Yeah. That we start to get into. And when you find out that, because they say in the um, in the little uh, instructional tutorial video that uh, she's connected to a live subject, we all assume, as does Angela, it's Will. Mm-hmm. It's his memories that were being um, observed. And so we just kind of assume that the tube that is connected to Angela's bracelet IV thing yeah. is connected to Will. And when she breaks into the room that he's supposedly in and finds out it's an elephant, I was bewildered. I I was going to ask you. I have no idea what that meant because obviously the elephant doesn't have 
Well, maybe the elephant does have Will's memories. I mean, it would... well, I th- I think just I mean it probably goes to the old saying of like you know an elephant never forgets. Forgets something. Yeah. But and I have this in my notes, and I just want everyone to know about it. In my notes, I have this as the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. There is no one who is an easier audience for my stuff than me. <laughs> but I, I have this as the me. elephant in the room. I'm amazing. No, but I just, I think I'm assuming on the very layman uh, level that that's probably what they were referring to with the idea that an elephant never forgets. So they're using the cells of an elephant, which has a good as a conduit, memory, right? as a conduit yeah. to make Angela's memories align with hers rather than the invading quotation marks Mm -hmm. uh, memories that's what I took from it the angle that they shot it at was really weird and I almost thought when they were panning back that it was another squid monster yeah and that freaked me out until they showed it was an elephant and I was like oh okay oh maybe that was part of it but I thought it was really interesting and the other interesting part was the conversations that Angela had with Lady True as well as reliving her own memories as you know Will's memories were kind of taken away from her she started to relive some of her own memories which explains the opening as well as some of the other memories that she goes through including being at an orphanage in Vietnam yeah. uh, we find out that after the death of her parents who died in the bombing uh, she was in an orphanage for a very long time but kept the uh, Sister Night video yeah and at one point, two police officers come to her to try to identify the evil puppeteer, and she's able to uh, positively ID him. And I thought this was really huh, a little too, again, a little too real. Can I lose uh, They put the bag over the guy's head, and they take him around the back. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. no trial, no nothing. They're like, is this the guy? Yeah. Okay, we're taking the... Uh, the... And, not that she was wrong, because she was absolutely right. But we're taking the word of like this little girl mm-hmm. that this random person was the guy who orchestrated yeah. the bombings. All right, yeah, we're going to take him around the back and we're going to shoot him in the head. Yeah. But it's like, and again, whether or not the guy deserved it, whether or not you consider that justice, neither here nor there. But I thought it was really fascinating, that scene and the idea that um, Angela says, can I listen? Yeah. And the lady cop gives her her badge. Mm-hmm. She says, when you grow up, come find me. Well, and the other part of it, too, is uh, they had a flashback when they hooded him. Hooded Justice. When he hit That's him. right. So, yeah. And I don't know if like her memories <sighs> so are starting to interweave where it's like, yes, this, to me, is justice. Even my, But then again, we go back to the, is it justice or is it vigilantism? Right. And... So many layers this show has. So many layers. So I thought that was really good about that. Um, But I I thought that was really ballsy of that character. They make they they make Angela such a hard ass so young. You know, can I listen? It's like, and the cop smiles like, yeah, come find me when you're older. So that that was great. That really was. And then we uh, one one thing I thought was really interesting, and we talked about it earlier, was uh, we get the reunion with June. Yeah. Uh, June flies from Tulsa all the way to Vietnam, and it's so, it's so heartbreaking because when you when the two of them meet, it's just like you always wanted it. It's almost like an Annie situation where you know Angela's been 
living a hard knock life and this you know benefactor comes to take her away to a better life and they have this conversation again where um angela is saying like i want to be a cop and june is like of course you do uh june kind of gives the exposition that we need to connect the dots from will uh or from her and her son leaving Will to go to Tulsa, him growing up, joining the war effort to be uh, to serve in Vietnam. They win the war, then he stays in Vietnam to uh, to be a police officer, all the way up to Angela's birth. And I thought that was really well done, really sure. good exposition without it feeling too like heavy sure, I mean, or lumped on it was done in the span of seven minutes you know yeah. what i mean we got yeah. all this if background that. information yeah and it's in passing it's it's you know i thought that was they do a great job of again getting us information that we would like to have and yeah for all intents and purposes i thought all right she's they're going back cool i thought so too I, I but i had this weird feeling in the back of my mind because i remember if i remember correctly they mentioned that uh she met cal in in, in vietnam. vietnam yeah and i'm like okay so does she go back at some point yeah. what's going on and then um june puts her in the car to drive theoretically to the airport june goes around the back and she has a heart attack and she dies and oh man and maybe the part of it was like the music swelling. Music uh, will always bring a lot of emotion into any given scene, but it really hit me when she died. Yeah, I think part of it too is because the, she has a line when she's talking about she already had a heart attack, right? She said she had that's a little, right, yeah. And she said, she said I'm okay, and then uh, I think she said at some point, or or maybe I'm I'm paraphrasing here, the heart attack was brought on by sentimental items or sentimental thoughts. So as she's having this oh. conversation with Angela, we have a bunch of flashbacks I of that. what happened. So I'm wondering if during that conversation, as they were talking it's about the it, same thing that happened. Yeah, there. because Caused it feels it. like wow. that right, and it kind of feels like Ugh, to it's me heartbreaking. when they were leaving, it was kind of the same dayish. So yeah. you know what I mean? I guess that would have propagated that heart attack because for me to tell you where kind of everything happened. I have to give up some of me, and you know, I, I guess that kind of opened the right. floodgates to a heart Oof, attack. Again. Man, and that was and that was tough. And like watching, you know, Angela kind of hop out of the car and find her just dead yeah. behind the car, laying on the ground, and knowing that her life is not going to get easier yeah. is just—it's really sad. It's really tragic. Yeah, and she was so happy. That that actress oh. is great. She does a fantastic job. She's very likable. The the young actress? Yeah. So good. Yeah, I've seen her Angela. in something before. I think that she's in The Leftovers, but I'm not sure. I can't right. tell I'm you. I'm going to fact check this. Okay. Go with what you're, what you're talking about. Um. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that the daughter was, was in Leftovers. But but it's funny. Part of, um, and I want to talk about the episode in the, uh, the trailer we got for next week. Angela is wearing the cop's uniform. So when she meets... You know, when we get to that point, right. but, but uh, the the cop that gave her the the badge and says, "Come see me when you're older." She's at a bar drinking, and so she at that point is wearing the uniform. So we can tell that she does stay in Saigon. That she never ends up going back to Tulsa, even after June had said to her that, you know, we're not from here. Our family's not from here. Our family's from uh, Oklahoma, and so I thought that was a. Uh, that was really interesting how that kind of played out, but it, it is sad. It's 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 very heartbreaking to see that, and especially, you know, we get all these terrible things that happen to this very young girl with her parents being killed, and then 
being in an orphanage and then uh, looking like that her, her her grandmother comes to save her and then it just turns out that explaining the situation to what happened to her ends up leading to her dead it's just you feel so bad for this little girl and she does such an amazing job uh, playing that part in such a, a dramatic situation right but yeah so anyway um, her name hold on one second uh, Faith Herman Faith so Herman. I'm looking her up right now um, but because I, I, I know she was in something. I feel I, like she, she was in Shazam. Oh, damn she was in Shazam. Shit, damn it, damn it, damn it. Okay. So she was in. I'm looking at her IMDb right now, and uh, she was in Shazam. Shazam. She was okay. She was in This Is Us. I remember her in This Is Us. Um, Shazam. Why did I think about that? Which is not on HBO too. So it is. It is. It is. It's true. So okay. So we have that part of it too, and then so we... yeah, and then we go into a lot of the uh, conversations with uh, Lady True. Mm. There are two distinct, separate conversations uh, where Lady True is first at Angela's bedside, and then later when Angela's in the uh, the chamber. And during the first conversation, they drop this little nugget about Cal being in an auto accident and him having amnesia Mm -hmm. and that he is um and that you know it must be hard not knowing who you are and all this stuff and for me i completely went over my head and i was just like oh my god what if he was like a terrible person before that's what i thought now he's this perfect husband because he is perfect absolutely we we both like like have said that we've said on multiple occasions he's alive because he's fantastic and that comes a lot down to uh yaya abdul habins um i don't know his exact name but i feel so bad now but what black manta yes he was black manta as well he's he's a fantastic actor that's what you were saying and he makes him so likable in this show he's so good at what he does um and they touch on it they're just like it's a little nugget. It feels like a throwaway for, line. It feels uh, like it's something said. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you had been subscribing to my theory that Doctor Manhattan was uh, Red Scare this entire time, um, it would have gone right over your head, just like it went over mine. But <laughs> later on, after Angela finds out about the elephant, she yanks out the um, the IV cord. She goes into this like sanctum area that has this globe, and as she starts touching it, she starts seeing the uh, the phone calls, the testimonials. And I thought that was so well done because I don't know if it ever established that the Manhattan booths were a product of the True Corporation or not. It definitely sh- did not. So I was blown away by that. Yeah. And that it's almost like a surveillance. It's a weird yeah. surveillance thing. Yeah. I have a theory on that. I don't it's it's kind of my half court shot, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it up now, but because it it kind of makes sense to me at least. Yeah. But um Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. Just I wanted to get his name right. Black um, Manta. Yes. Black Manta. <laughs> <laughs> but now we can know him by another name. That's true. Uh, because Lady True reveals during the second conversation that Dr. Manhattan is on Earth and that he has been masquerading as a human being. And 
Angela just like books it because she knows the jig is up. She's got to let Red Scare know that they're on to him. Yeah, that's exactly what she was thinking. And that he needs to get way. out of there. This and and this was like, the my no! favorite moment of the entire episode. Because she goes, you know, Lady True stops her as she's leaving. She's just like, I just told you that Dr. Manhattan is masquerading as a human being. Don't you want to know who it is? And she leaves in a boom, cuts away to Red Scare. My boy Red Scare. Who is the real Dr. Manhattan? This is yeah. a real this is this is all a red herring. This, is, this is a fake this is a fake out. It's gonna come all the way back to him. Yeah. Um But I just thought it was so brilliant as she like tries to leave and like she has to, you know, essentially go on the run from uh Red Scare and Pirate Jenny back to her house because of course, like you mentioned earlier, there is an arrest warrant out for her. And so they are, she speeds back to her house and she runs in there and you find out that there is a pretty sizable number of 7th Cavalry members watching her house. So, um, and as we can see from the preview of next episode, shit's about to go down. And so she, she walks into the house and I thought it was really interesting. I can't remember the name of the book. For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yes! I wrote that. And so, um... Cal is like laying on on the couch. He's got for whom the bell tolls, which I think is just oh, pitch perfect. Just like, it's the little things. It's just like the music in yes. last episode, right? So it's it, the little things that really just elevate this. Um, he gets up and he finds that Angela's in the kitchen, and we don't know what she's looking for. And so he's just like, "What's going on?" She's like, "The jig is up." Like she's telling him like. All this stuff, and he's like, "What are you talking?" Like, he has no idea what she's talking about. He's like, "Was this before my accident? Did we make this kind of, like pact before my accident?" And she's like, "You didn't have an accident." And it's like, "Oh, oh shit!" Mm-hmm. And you see her pull out this hammer, and I'm like, "Oh god, yeah. you're gonna kill the best character!" But before she does that, she says, "You've been my best friend. You've been a wonderful oh, yeah, father." She- it's like. She's, she's saying goodbye exactly right and in 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 the most in the most angela way in that moment the way she could and so i think that they they created a lot of tension with music before early in the episode mm-hmm. they created this tension for me in this part by no music by right her. and through, all through the dialogue yeah and it's from his pov absolutely like because you're starting to feel like terror and fear because this woman who you you know, if you're looking from the perspective of Cal, you've loved for your entire conscious remembering life. Yeah. You have kids with her. This is your wife. Well, and that's and how now she's shoot it too. Right. Like, he gets up to the couch and mm-hmm. goes to her. And, you know, the shots are of him looking yes. at her. It's at this point, like... It's like a horror movie. Story. Yeah, exactly. It's like exactly. a horror movie, a thriller, like where she's standing there with this hammer. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, and she's slowly advancing on him. And she, you know, basically gives her goodbyes and she just wallops him upside the head with this hammer yeah and i'm like oh my god like the crunch that they yeah made the sound the you sound editing just, yeah. so good Some of the and then she out. just mounts him and starts like beating in his forehead just with this hammer and i'm like okay i thought i thought because they have set up like this is dr manhattan blah 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 she's gonna try to strike him and it's gonna bounce off or something like that. Or his food's in a crack or something like that. Something yeah, I, like I, that. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the fact that she just, like, she hit him upside the head, there's blood, well, and she starts, on. like... At this point, did you think he was Dr. Manhattan? 
Yes. Okay, so you knew at this point he was Dr. Manhattan. Yes, and okay. that he also split off half of his body into Red Scare, and that the reveal <laughs> next episode gonna row that boat is that he... Sinks, aren't we? <laughs> Call me the captain of the Titanic. We're going down. Um, but as she's, like, beating his head in, I'm like, where are we going with this? Because yeah. this lasts a while. Yeah. Felt like, like a two Again. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And so... She starts digging into his forehead, which again, gross. Yeah. Um, and she pulls out this ring, and in the very center is this spinning sphere, very reminiscent, of course, of Dr. Manhattan's symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as she's looking at it, this blue glow comes onto Angela's face, and she's like, Hi, baby. Like she she knows him right. as well. So she has a relationship not just with Cal, but with Dr. Manhattan as well. And she mentions during the exchange that's like, for your, you know, just for your information, this was your idea. Yeah. So I think it's fascinating. And I cannot wait to see what they do with this next episode. Because we get the reveal that Cal was Dr. Manhattan. And to speak to something that you said earlier, and I just thought of it, and I want to get your opinion on this. We talked about the idea of um, white supremacists getting the ability of Dr. Manhattan. You know, you have this idealized version of, like, you know, the master Aryan race, and you come down, and this godlike being comes down, and you're like, I want to be just like you. Do you think it's intentional that these white supremacists want to get the power of someone who this entire time has been a black man. Oh, interesting. What do you think that says? Well, I think the subtext on that is is really something. I think that the struggle for power, for ultimate power at this point, I think would be very, very interesting. Um, I don't know. That's a good one. I think that for storytelling, I think that's wonderful. Fantastic. Um, Right, especially for someone who's been holding that. And I wonder, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think for... Again, for the subtext in it, it speaks volumes. Right. It's in, in terms of, like, I don't think, I don't think Seventh Calvary is like, yeah, fuck this guy. He, you know, we want what he has because he's also black, but now he can make us the most powerful beings, air quotes, in the right. entire universe. But do you? I have okay. So I, I, I'm going to talk about my theory. Real quick yeah, go for I it. I have an it. idea. Did you think that Doctor that True knows who Doctor Manhattan was? Yes. So we know that she knows that it was Cal. Yes. And we also know that they're using True Tech at 7th Calvary um, when they're opening the portal. Yes. 7th Calvary's waiting for her outside the door. Yes. Okay. I'm wondering if True is working with 7th Calvary um, to bring back and maybe take over Dr. Manhattan. I think True is working with Seventh Calvary. See, I don't think she is because she tells Angela that the reason she even came to Tulsa was to work with Will Reeves against the Seventh Cavalry. Well, that's what she says. Right, of course, of course. And we can't take anything she says at face yeah. value and at I, this point. I also think the Millennium Clock, I think yes. that, let's, that, let's hear that, it. that center is, have you noticed, and I know you, I'm pretty sure you have, that it's like we talked about it being an arc, the possibility yes. of being like, bring your habitant, bring, bring your feel, your here will kept the audio recorder that sent out from last episode like a 
the mesmerizing. They yeah. made a point to stay on mesmerizing. Yeah. So I'm wondering if in some way, shape, or form, they're going to project that. This is a self-encapsulated habitat, an ark. Well, it they think of saving humanity by killing some of humanity, which was what Ozymandias had said he would think about doing. Oh. So by wiping out, you know, by, by killing three, four billion people, you save three billion people. And they can do that from the center by sending, by sending this in. The mesmerization where people will start killing other people, but not here. That's fascinating. So write that down. That's half court, but that's more like a long three pointer. Because no, at this no, point, I, I think that's a, I think that's a safe bet too, and I think that that really goes into the idea and I mean the themes of Watchmen. We've seen this before. We've seen, you know, history, you know, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And I think that's a great shout. And that if that ends up happening, that's just... With Red Scare fantastic. and Dr. Manhattan. And then Red Scare <laughs> is going to be the person who turns into giant Dr. Manhattan <laughs> just must. with his red jumpsuit on and knocks down yeah. the Millennium Clock. Because I honestly, I thought the Millennium Clock would be what would bring Ozymandias home. Thought it was going to be something to like pull him home, mm-hmm. whatever it was going to be. But I like your your theory. Well, they could still do that because Ozymandias uh, idealistically lines up with again, if true, with true, you're right, father. And I think she's mentioned that she's saving humanity. Yes, well, she's mentioned it a couple times. She, yeah, Ozymandias has son. And correct me if I'm wrong. You would know if I wouldn't. He felt like by killing a lot of people, you save even more people. Absolutely. His whole so, goal was to kill three million people to save the rest of the world. Right. So maybe we're kind of in that same boat here. Yeah. I don't know if the whole... Should we talk about the king wanting to be uh, Dr. Manhattan, want to become him? Yeah. We, uh, we, mentioned, we mentioned it earlier. Because that was an accident, right? Dr. Manhattan was, it was. on accident. It was, it was an accident. And then at the same time, like there's... A little bit in the comic, they like played fast and loose with like, you know, Doctor Manhattan exists at every single point of time. So did he cause himself to get oh. trapped in here to become himself, or like, you know, paradoxes and stuff like that? So theoretically, it was a very controlled, one in a million chance accident that caused him to become Doctor Manhattan. So I. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to like fabricate that because that's what he's saying, right? He yeah, says, that's that's become. their goal is now to turn him into a Doctor Manhattan. And Lady True even says, you know, something like in two hours the Seventh Cavalry is going to summon Doctor Manhattan and kill him and then become him. Yeah, and so maybe their goal is to kill Doctor Manhattan and to take his essence or whatever to use that in the machines to become one of him. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what their goal is or how they're going to achieve it, more or less. Um, And I'm sure we're going to get more info in that next episode. Well, the other part of it, too, is... So part of my theory about True working with uh, 7th Cavalry would be that... So she has the Manhattan booths. Right. She has all those files. Yes. Joe Keen wants to be... I thought they were speaking metaphorically. Maybe they'll they'll create some type of facade where instead of having all these powers, he will imbue the look of Dr. Manhattan. Oh. So she's saying, she specifically says all these people make, I think, wishes or they're they're not testimonials, they're hopes, they're dreams. But think about it. If you had all that information on the back end, 
Eric, you tell me you want you want a PlayStation Four for Christmas. I have a PlayStation and Four. You want a PlayStation Seven for Christmas, <laughs> and then you know you you, you confess this to Doctor Manhattan. But I've got the tapes of that. I know that I have the ability to get you a PlayStation Seven oh. under the facade of being Doctor Manhattan. Interesting. At that point, do you believe that I'm Doctor Manhattan? So then we go back to the almost an almost religious awe I love of it. a mortal, a mortal person. Yeah, Joaquin. You know, so 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 you think that his goal is to become the personification of Doctor Manhattan rather than physically actually well, becoming a see, blue giant giant penis man. I, it, <laughs> that's right. You think you're gonna get it before that? What another one before the season's over? I, I want to catch everyone up because it's been a few episodes. We are still only at one on the blue dick counter yeah. here at Watching the Watchmen. We <laughs> might get some more. We might, next, episode. next episode. Next episode could be a prime prime uh, field for yeah. blue dick spots. Yeah. But then that's why I asked because if you can – if I thought he was created by accident. Well, if he's created by accident, it's hard to replicate another accident. Right. But if he's sent in a tube in a chamber – and you know they fabricate it if you can do that then i think that i would be wrong but if 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 it's an accident i think that at that point i would believe that the facade is a more realistic goal than to actually become for say i'm also really interested in how the seventh cavalry plans on killing dr manhattan yeah because you can't. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, that's true. he controls matter. He exists at all diff- all points of history and all points of time. Like, I don't know how one would go about killing him. So if they have, if they are so, um, if they are so convinced that their plan is going to work, I would love to know how. Yeah. Because all we've got so far is that, I don't know, it's like a portal, like that, because we saw a little bit with the linking glass. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not looking class. Um, the episode <clears throat> where the basketball. Yeah, the, they made you know, they yeah. made the portals, and that was tech that Adrian Veidt had already perfected. So, if for instance, Joaquin dressed up in whatever facade he's going to wear to, to emulate Manhattan, if he v- v- pops to one place to another, does that make him more of a believable? Ooh, yeah. Maybe that's what they're trying so, to do. As so they're trying to in him. So they're just doing all the theatrics to. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal did it. Wow. Oh, you're right. You know, you're right. We better see him. We better see him in one of those mocap suits. Yeah, right. Um, no, I think that's fascinating, and I think that would, in essence, that would be more believable than them being like, "We're gonna create the same accident that turned him into a giant blue man." Yeah. Like, I think that's more believable, and I think that that is definitely something within their means mm-hmm. to create this hoax. Of a new Doctor Manhattan. Well, just the title alone, and a religious awe. I keep, I keep going back to it because imagine if all of the Christians in the world, all of a sudden, God showed up, or what they believed is God, right? And He said, "I need you to take over England. Why? Because I'm God, and you believe in me. And if you want some example of my power, let me just zap, boom, boom. Here, here I am. There I am. Follow me. How many people do you think Oof. would? Too many." Right, Catholicism. Like you said, religion has killed more people than many, many wars. It has started many, many wars. Yeah. But, but I, a, I think that's fascinating. So overall, that's why I'm the this, co-host, people. That's yeah. Why. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we make such a good team because, right. you know, 
I give some information, you accuse me of stuff, <laughs> and it's like it's a whole dynamic that we've well, I don't see, I, generated why, over. I don't think that they could. I don't think they could recreate Doctor Manhattan. And again, from my limited knowledge of it, it just seemed like it was an accident. Right. How do you how do you recreate? But again, I mean, they have this foolproof plan that they believe in. So I don't know, but but I think your idea of essentially Mysterioing it mm-hmm. is a lot more feasible, and I would be inclined to think that that's the route they're going to go. Interesting. So overall, this was a stacked episode. Like I said, we have double the amount of notes that we normally do because this episode was a lot of revelation but left us with just as many questions as answers. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything in your notes that we didn't touch on? No, no. I think think, uh, I'm really looking forward to next week's episode. Yeah, because I'm so excited. We'll be fully caught up. I yeah. Think we'll, we'll know what No more backstory. No. At that point. And I'm really looking forward to it. If you somehow skipped the preview for next episode, which, why would you? Right. Um, we are going to get Cal meeting, um, meeting Angela. By the way, quick side note, I loved when she called him John. Dude, I know. Even Jessica was like, <gasps> oh, John? And she just goes, or Cal's like, that's not my name. Yeah. I loved it. Um, but we're going to have them meet for the first time. Uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen is going to be blue for the entire episode. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. I'm really, really looking forward to yeah. it. What do you think is going to happen next episode that maybe we didn't see in I the I think preview? we're going to figure out what happened uh, to Looking Glass. I feel like we're going to figure out what's going to happen. I think you nailed it. I think he's going to be with... With Red Scare. No. <laughs> no, I don't think that. I think he's going to save Lori in exactly the way you said it. Because I didn't. Even, I noticed that one of them was missing a mask, but it didn't land on why he was missing a mask. So you said, yeah. I think we're going to get that. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how. I want to know if Cal was created. Because, you know, there's that time when you start remembering things. Like you're born, you don't remember anything prior to like four years old. So maybe... Cal was created, air quotes, by Dr. Manhattan and Angela um, to just kind of be this embodiment of him, and they just kind of fed him memories. Although, he does say, you volunteered for this. Yeah. So, maybe, I don't know. But, I mean, I think Cal was definitely a shell for him. Sure. Was he created? And that maybe, I don't know, but maybe, like, that thing that she pulled out was maybe, like, this inhibitor or else, like, something that was... Uh, containing him i don't know but i am really interested to see what they do i'm interested to see why he decides to become cal i think so good so good um and i'm also hoping that we get a little bit more uh i definitely want to see looking glass um, I hope that we get a little bit more furthering of the Ozymandias stuff. I know you are. Uh, I just I want I want it to make sense because I'm so I'm so deep into it now that I don't want to feel like I've wasted my entire time being. Uh, all right. in, I, I, okay, being I'll, I'll go with that. Involved with his stuff. Yeah. But um, I, overall, I'm really really looking forward to it. So, any final thoughts? Wonderful. I, you know, we talked about it, and you and I speak about it all the time. It's like every time I. We're like, eh, this, this episode might be a letdown. Or at least if the last one was an eight, maybe this is a seven. It's just they just keep re-upping themselves. And I just I love what they're doing with it. And it's so, so important. Um, those. I, 
I yeah, just, just like the cultural stuff, oh, the, it's so important. just the social economic stuff. Like it is fascinating, and it's just like Watchmen was when it was first released in 1986. It's so current, it's so topical, and it is exactly the kind of fiction that we need right now. Yeah, because it's not just telling a story; it's also holding up a mirror to the general audience and saying, like, this is the world you live in. Yeah. There are just way less blue dicks. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's fascinating. Again, I I just, I'm so excited for next week. Are you? And I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. you have no idea. Yeah. Um, and like you said, finally completing the circle, there's going to be no more flashbacks. I don't think, I don't see a reason unless, like, um, in the last episode, we get a flashback for uh, Ozymandias to see why where he got, got there. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing. Also, we're two hours until the Millennium Clock yeah. activates, so maybe we see that in the next episode as well. Yeah, that would be interesting. And then the fallout, I mean, two episodes left in a season that's just been been wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know? Just home runs every single time. Yeah. So uh, tune in next week for episode eight. Um, really looking forward to it. For now, for Geeksplain and for watching The Watchmen, this is Eric. And Chris. I'm going to redo that uh, that sign-off because it, it caught him by surprise. It got distracted by Gatsby. Um, so tune in next week for, uh, and I'm going to leave in that first that first outro too. Uh, tune in next week for episode eight. We'll be covering it right here once again. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained and for watching The Watchmen, this is Eric Azana. And Chris Carter. And we will see you next time.